And now in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, St. James. <laughs> it is a real joy and a real privilege to be able to be with you on this day when we give God thanks for 25 years of faithful service as your rector by Brenda. We have been blessed. You have been blessed. You have been blessings to each other. And you have been blessings to this world and this church. Last week I was in Washington with the Bishop of Washington and we were talking and she just said, where are you going this weekend? And so I told her where I would be and the occasion that we were celebrating. And she said, oh, Brenda in St. James. And I, I waited. <laughs> and she said, they're awesome. <laughs> you have been, Brenda, you have been St. James and are among God's blessings, God's saints who have made a difference and continue to do so for the cause of Jesus Christ and God's love in this world. And it is a privilege for me able to be here this day. I debated about what to say because the accomplishments of your rector and this incredible church are numerous, like the stars of the heavens. And I did a little research. I went back and actually read articles in the Living Church and Episcopal News and the New York Post and about your rector when she first came. And it was fascinating. It was like reading in another world at another time. And I read over the years of the many things that, that you have done to make a difference in this city and in this world for Jesus Christ and God's love. But then it dawned on me. What has Brenda said about herself? I couldn't find anything because that's her. But I found something that she said about somebody else. It was in the sermon she preached, and I was there when she preached it. The sermon she preached for the consecration of Carly Hughes as a bishop. And near the end, she said this of Carly, though I think just substitute the name Brenda for Carly. She said this of Carly. I can tell you two things about Carly, and I want you to hear. I can tell you two things about Brenda the two things that matter most. First, she loves Jesus, and she knows Jesus loves her. It is why she can be tough as nails. She can weep with those who weep and laugh out loud with those who laugh. The other thing, now this is Brenda talking about Carly, but I'm talking about Brenda now. The other thing 
is that she loves you, St. James. I can't explain it, she went on to say. And goodness knows it's not true of every priest or bishop. But Carly, no, Brenda, responds to the people of God as if she had been given a basket of puppies for Christmas. St. <laughs> James, she went on to say, she loves you. She just loves you. Jimmy Stewart would probably say it doesn't get any better than that. She just loves you. And Jesus of Nazareth said, on the night when he would sacrifice his life for the cause of love, as recorded in the 13th of John's Gospel, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I love you. And the Bible reaches its grand conclusion in the book of Revelation. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I give you a new commandment that you love. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Some of us learn this as children. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Anybody remember that? Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Because the, the what? The Bible tells me so. A friend of mine, uh, Charles Marsh, who teaches at the University of Virginia, uh, a the theologian and historian as well, in one of his books on the civil rights spirituality and the civil rights movement, in a chapter on Fannie Lou Hamer, he says this about Jesus. Jesus had founded the most revolutionary movement in all of human history. It was a movement built on the unconditional love of God for the world and the mandate to live that love. Jesus founded the most revolutionary movement in history on God's unconditional love for this world and a mandate to a community of people who would center their lives on him and his teachings to live that love and bear witness to it. The older I get, the pension fund tells me I've been 40 years in ordination. Social Security says I haven't been working long enough yet to retire. Don't worry, even when I retire, I'm not going to quit. <laughs> it's just... But the older I get, the more I am convinced that this day, called All Saints, is at its deepest root a daring and bold proclamation of the power of love to create and restore 
human community as God dreamed in the very beginning. That's what this day All Saints is about. That's what Jesus was trying to get us to grasp. A new commandment. Moses gave you 10. Here's number 11. A new commandment I give you that you love one another the way I love you. This way of love that Jesus teaches us can change the world. It can change you. It can change me. It changes we. And it is the precondition to a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new America, a new Episcopal church. A new commandment I give you. If you happen to be in um, San Francisco um, over a weekend and are there on a Sunday, um, go to St. Gregory of Nyssa Church um, in San Francisco. But if you don't have any plans to actually be there anytime soon, uh, just go on Google. Uh, and Google St. Gregory of Nyssa, N-Y-S, I think one or two S's, two S's, N-Y-S-S-A, Gregory of Nyssa, St. Gregory Nyssa Episcopal Church in San Francisco. It's nicknamed the Church of the Dancing Saints. And uh, when you go there, you will see in the, in the church itself, in the rotunda, um, these icons, large icons of, of, of various saints from the Christian tradition and people of goodwill who have made a difference um, in the life of the world, of, of all religious traditions and backgrounds. And if you look at them, I mean, they're huge and they're literally up in the sky as if in heaven, as if there's a communion of saints. Help me, somebody. And there you'll see them dancing, people from different races, different nations, different ages, different political, but there are Republicans and Democrats and independents. Now that's about as diverse as you can get. <laughs> and they're all up there and they're, they're various people. I mean, for example, I mean, they're the classics. There's Mary Magdalene and, and Simon Peter and, and the Apostle Paul. But, there are some other ones up there. There, there, are, there, are, there there's um, uh, Mahatma Gandhi's up there, and and Desmond Tutu's up there, and and Mother Teresa's up there. I mean, the biggies are up there, and then there's some little ones, and then there's like a little tiger thrown in there, and then there's a the wolf that Francis of Assisi uh, kind of calmed down. Uh, he's up there too. Um, then there's suns and moons up there, and at the center, leading the dance, is a 12 foot icon of Jesus. Dancing the dance of love. And they're all dancing that way of love together with him. And as they do so, you begin to behold what Jesus called the kingdom in the reign of God's love. You begin to behold what John Lewis and Martin King called the beloved community you begin to behold who we can be when that new commandment that we love one another becomes a reality. Your priest, your rector was right. This is not a sentiment. This is a commitment to love as Jesus loves. 
to give as Jesus gives, to give and sometimes not even count the cost, and to live and forgive like Jesus, like God. Now, I know somebody's thinking, preacher, this sounds good in church, but we don't live in church. And I'm glad you raised that question because that's a good point. And, and the truth is, I mean, life is tough. I mean, nobody, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I've been around 68 years too. I, it's not easy. And, and it's not always, you know, roses. I know that too. I mean, the reality is um, hardball life is hardball life. I mean, I, look, I, I'm in New York. This is New York. Y'all are the toughest in the country, I think. Maybe not in football, but in other ways. <laughs> I understand, and it's easy to have an objection, kind of an internal spiritual objection to talk of love because um, there's a sense in which you almost want to believe it, but then there's a part of you say, but it sounds so naive. Does it work? In William James' tradition, is it pragmatic? Well, let me put it to you this way. If I was a lawyer, any lawyers in the house? I know there's some here. I know the Episcopal Church well enough to know. They're, wherever two or three are gathered together, there are going to be some lawyers in that Episcopal group. If I was a lawyer making the case before the jury, I might say it this way. You have a good point that this way of love might be naive, but I bid you consider the alternative. We've actually seen the alternatives. And the alternative to this way of love is unconscionable. It is unthinkable. We dare not go down that road. We've seen intimations of the alternative. Oh, dear God, we saw it in Charlottesville. When young American men marched through the streets of an American city with tiki torches in their hands in the middle of the night like this was the Reichstag and Kristallnacht in the Second World War, shrieking, Jews will not replace us. We have seen the abyss of the alternative. We've seen it when George Floyd cried out for his mama. Like Jesus crying from the cross, my God. Oh, we've seen it. When two police officers, law enforcement officers out in Compton were gunned down brutally for no reason at all. Oh, we've seen it when our, uh, uh, our Native American brothers and sisters um, have to remember painfully the long marches and how children were separated from their families and put in boarding schools. Kill the Indian and save the man was the saying. Oh, we've, we've, we've seen, we've seen the alternative when Asian American Pacific Islanders are sometimes afraid to walk the streets of our country. We've seen it when LGBTQ folk and especially trans folk in our country in our time are victims of wanton violence. Oh, oh, we've seen the alternative. I could go on. I'm just giving you the lowlights. And I would simply say, as Dr. Phil might, how's this been working out for you? 
Would you believe this? My Apple Watch is saying, have you fallen? Is this an emergency? No, I'm okay. <laughs> Lord, help us all. <laughs> Lord. No, I am, I am passionately convinced that Jesus was right. That's why I follow him. He was right. Dr. King said history is replete with the bleached bones of civilizations that refuse to listen to him. That voice that said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who harm you. He was right. And his way of love, which is God's way of love, that's what he was getting at. It's the way of life for us all. When I went off to college, I was in the car with my daddy. I don't know where we were going, but we were, it was just the two of us. My sister wasn't there, and I was in the car. And he said, you know, I, want, I was getting ready to go off to school, and he said, you know, uh, I want you to remember one thing when you go off to school. And I was thinking, well, what's that? And he, I didn't say that. You didn't speak to your parents that way in those days, but I thought it. <laughs> so he said, uh, when you go off to school, you remember, treat every girl the way you want somebody else to treat your sister. And I knew what he meant, but there was a part of me that was thinking, you know, you have just ruined four years of college for me, because I had plans um, for my four years of college. Um, but I, I knew what he was saying, but I, I wanted to say, you just took all the fun out of college. You really did. But I knew what he was saying, because he used to say it to us when we were kids. He used to say, treat every girl the way you want somebody else to treat your sister. Treat every boy the way you want somebody else to treat your brother. Treat every man the way you want somebody else to treat your father. Every woman the way you want somebody else to treat your mother. And then he would say, you show them the same love, honor, and respect that you want for members of your own family. And then you work to build and create a society and a world where every man, woman, and child, no matter who they are, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their class, the con no matter who they are, no matter their political party, no matter their religion, no matter anything, you treat them as children of God, as your brothers, your sisters, and you show them the same love that you want for your own. This is not sentiment. This is a commitment to a new world. And it works. Well, with this, I'm going to sit down. <laughs> Before the watch goes off again. <laughs> Number of years ago, I was, um, this is almost 10 years ago, I was listening to public radio on a Sunday afternoon. It probably was in the summer because I was, I was free, so it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was listening to public radio, and there was a broadcast, an essay, about um, a, a photo photographer named Norman Gershom, who had recently published, or, uh, published a book and a documentary film called God's House, had been published based on his, on his writings and work. What he had done was to document from the Second World War 
a small community of Muslims living in Albania. You may remember and know from your history that the Second World War, in Europe in particular, was a time when the darkness of hatred, of bigotry, of indifference, of totalitarianism descended upon much of the world as armies of the Third Reich marched in conquest, nations fell. Czechoslovakia, Sudetenland, Poland, the Lowlands, France, virtually all of Europe, save England, left alone. And as these armies advanced, Orders were sent from the foreign ministry to the foreign ministry of the country to be conquered, that they were to turn over the names of all Jews and their addresses. As they approached Albania, these same orders went to the prime minister or the foreign minister of Albania, who happened to be a, a Muslim of that small Muslim community in Albania. And in the spirit of Harriet Tubman, he created an underground railroad. He sent false names and addresses instead of the true ones. And he sent this message to the small Muslim community living there. All Jewish children and people will sleep with your children. You will eat the same food. You will live as one family. You will protect them and hide them. You must love them as you love your own family. And the Muslim community of Albania saved 2,000 Jews from the Holocaust. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as God loves you. And then you will see a new heaven, a new earth. Your priest was right. She loves you. She loves you. And Jesus loves you. Now love others in his name. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. Amen.